good morning. I'm continuing a uh, home podcast to finish up. There's the solution. I'll start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. I gave an up-to-date on the previous talk about uh, I missed a couple meetings because I twi severely twisted my ankle and fractured my foot. It is getting better. I, uh, that happened a few weeks ago. I'm going to be able to go to the meeting in person tomorrow. Uh, we covered uh, finished there as a solution and started more about alcoholism. I, um, I did the first part of uh, the end of There's a Solution where Roland Hazard and Dr. Young meet. And I gave an up-to-date on uh, the site and uh, what my plans were. Uh, and uh, if you haven't listened to that one, you might find it helpful. And I covered page 26 up to uh, page 27 and talked about how uh, Roland Hazard went to uh, Dr. Young in 1932. Uh, he had a hopeless condition of mind and body. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Uh, he went to S Dr. Young because he was a w renowned physician. But Dr. Young, uh, after a year of therapy, uh, he uh, went and thought he had uh, figured out himself so well that he could never he would never drink again. And of course, he was drunk in a short time. Um, he uh, didn't understand it. He couldn't understand why he couldn't regain self-control, yet he had no control whatever. And he begged uh, Dr. Young to tell him what would the, well, uh, the whole truth, and he was told that he was hopeless and that there was no hope for him. But he still lived, he's a free man, and um, he can go anywhere on the earth. Uh, he was the man, remember, Roland Hazard went to Abby Thatcher in 1934 to, because Roland, as we're going to see, went to the Oxford Group and was able to stop drinking and work the steps and have a spiritual life. And then Abby went to Bill, and then Bill went to Bob, and we're here today. So we, we picked up where um, uh, he said that... Uh, Dr. Young told Rowan that uh, he he could he could be a free man and he could go anywhere he he wanted, provided he remained willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Uh, to me, that is God is my director. I seek Him on all things. Without Him, I'm nothing. Uh, I have to surrender all the time to that. I have to work the first step every day. I have to continue to work the steps. And he says, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. So let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. So there's some people who think they don't like the idea of God, and they think they can do it. They think they have a plan, and they can do it without completely surrendering and giving their life to God and seeking him with everything, they, all the fiber of their being. 
They may want some spiritual help, but not a lot. And they may want spiritual help just in some areas, and they're still in control. Because without spiritual help, they're talking about is total spiritual help, admitting I'm totally powerless. So the doctor told Roland, uh, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. Now, why he didn't know that before uh, is postulated that Roland didn't tell him the truth about his situation. I have never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Now, that's not good. The mind of a chronic alcoholic, loss of choice. Never seen one, loss of control, loss of choice. Never seen one single case, not one case, where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. And that's the hopeless condition of mind and body. That's why when the book appeared in the world in 1939, it was life-saving. It was a gift from God to us. And um, some people uh, accept the gift and pick up the kit of spiritual tools, and some don't. Why some do and some don't, I don't know. I think the ones who do aren't any better than the ones who don't. There's just, they're not constitutionally incapable, they're constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And it says that, those who cannot or will not do it. And so, uh, to me that constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, my experience, they can't see the truth of their situation. They can't see that without spiritual help, they'll never recover. They can't see that they have to give up completely on themselves. They have to have be 100% willing to do whatever it takes for recovery. We had somebody who's uh, sober a few months, uh, hasn't really worked the steps, uh, but is feeling better. And they uh, feel better about themselves. And, they haven't drank, and they're getting married, and he's been too busy to work the steps, and he's getting married, and then after he gets married, he's gonna, he's gonna work the steps. And he said, was talking last night, and he's a wonderful young man, he's young, 27. And he was talking and, um, about how he, he's so glad he's found AA, and he's not drinking today, and his marriage is gonna go his wedding is going to go a lot better. She wouldn't have married him if he hadn't quit. And I worry about him. I worry about him because at certain times we have no defense against the first drink. And I just hope he'll, uh, everything will go well with the wedding and he'll get into the steps and the program of recovery. Because we can fool ourselves that we're doing well and things are going well and we'll, we'll, we'll do our, our step work at some point. And I think that's really dangerous and I, I really love them and I hope that, uh, I hope it'll work out. Um, so he said, when, when he told them that he'd never seen a, seen a case recover, uh, uh, Rowan Hazard felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. It's not good news to hear that. I talked about how I handled uh, the hopeless condition in my medical practice. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? And here, the, here, here uh, 
Carl Jung had the humility to uh, tell us this information that he really had no power. And he says, is there no exception? He says, yes, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what we are called vital spiritual experiences. And uh, we talked about that. We read the uh, appendix uh, two. Um, and uh, we can go through that again uh, because it describes what the spiritual experiences were, was. To me, and we did that when we did page uh, 25. So if you go down to the talks, just proceeding, and there's a solution. Uh, we covered that, and they discuss uh, what the vital spiritual experience means. To me, these occurrences are phenomena, so that it's something that he couldn't explain. Uh, they occurred, but he didn't, he didn't know how it happened. And it was a phenomenon. It seemed like a miracle. And it is a miracle. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements. And I wrote a change in my thinking and my reacting. And, and, and how do you change your thinking and reacting on your own? You can't. I would try to have uh, do better. I would try to have better thinking and react better, but you know, I didn't have the power. And the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. The ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast aside. Does that sound like uh, uh, we have to uh, be rid of our old ideas completely or the result is nil? All my ideas, all my emotions and attitudes my idea that I could manage my life successfully, my life would be successful if I only managed well. That my emotions were all true, all my resentments were true, my fears were true. Um, my emotions separated from God, the left-hand side of our spiritual checklist. And my attitude, my attitude towards life, towards my fellow man, towards my creator, were all once the guiding forces of the lives. Now, how did my life work when that, my ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were the guiding forces of, of my life, it was a mess. It gave me a hopeless condition of mind and the body. Of these men are suddenly cast to one side. Sudden, there's sudden change and a completely new set. Now, you may say the spiritual experience is, is slow or it's sudden, but to me, and Sandy Beach says, it's always sudden when you realize the guy's doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And um, some people say, well, you know, the problem is this, they'll sometimes occur slowly, sometimes quickly. Well, what makes them slower? Resistance or slow in working the steps. So the only thing that can give you a slow spiritual experience is yourself, I believe. Are you going to go in 100%? I think as soon as you begin to seek out 100% with everything you have, 
and you start working with someone, you start reading the book, you start following the directions in it, you'll start, you'll start, you'll have a spiritual experience. And the spiritual experience continues and it continues for the rest of your life. The ideas and emotions that you're silently cast aside and well, guess what? A completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Steps three, four, five, six, and seven. Silently cast aside, and that's what I have to do every day. I have to silently cast aside my old ideas, emotions, and attitudes when I'm disturbed and say, God, give me, uh, change that and give me the proper emotion, idea, and attitude and then I won't be disturbed. A completely new set of concepts and motives to, to begin to dominate them. And it's God's conceptions and motives dominate them, not mine. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. But we can't do it. Therapy won't do it, I don't believe. That's why uh, modern treatment is a lot of uh, self-help therapy and and I I don't know if it's good or bad I have no opinion and I don't really know what goes on so I shouldn't even say anything but I do know the book works and the and the directions of the book remember Bill said simple but not easy a price has to be paid the destruction of self-centeredness how can I destroy my self-centeredness I can't but the steps the actions of three through 12 continuously destroy my self-centeredness because they unblock me. I face and be rid of the things that are blocking me from God all the time. And then God's power comes into my life. In fact, he said he'd been doing that. Many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Why? Because an alcoholic uh, has no power, has no power over alcohol, no power to manage their lives. That even though they they uh, have produced the rearrangements, they're not produced by God. They're not their self improvement, self rearrangements. Because he said on the previous page, he had acquired a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs. The relapse was unthinkable. So me, me doing that won't help. And so it has to be a plan that's not mine. And it has to be a plan of action, not thinking. Self-knowledge won't help me. Fear won't help me. Completely powerless. Hopeless condition. But yet I'm here today talking to you. And I don't take any credit for it except that I've became completely hopeless, uh, was willing to go to any length. I continue to see God. I continue to do this. Doing these meetings, staying in the book, going through it all the time helps me continue to maintain my relationship with God. When I get disturbed, I can actually see the pages. I can see the lines. I say, wow, Michael, good job, disturbed again. How silly is that? And, and so it... Uh, it's a process, and it's a process to continue. And you have to continue the process or it stops working. 
Upon hearing this, Rowan was somewhat relieved. He felt better because he reflected that after all, he went to church. And being a good church member is great, but it won't treat alcoholism unless that power, you're allowing the power of, of the Holy Spirit, if you go to church, to work in your life. Now, the reason the Oxford group started was because they, they uh, believed in Christ and they had the Holy Spirit, but they knew that they weren't allowing the Holy Spirit to work uh, in their lives and they were blocking him. And they wanted to uh, progress in the character of Christ and not their character. So they came up with this, these six steps designed to face and be rid of the things that were blocking them from allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And if you're a Christian, that's what this program is designed. All Christians would be helped by this program. It would change their lives. But uh, I don't know that they can see that they're powerless and that they need to face and be rid of the things and blocking them from God uh, like we are. And I think that's why uh, this, this program was given to alcoholics. But there's no reason why we can't... Um, give these, this program to uh, non-alcoholics. I've tried, um, but a lot of people don't want to hear it. They don't see it. They don't want to get rid of their resentments and face their resentments and see that their resentments are blocking them from God. They think their resentments are true and they're fine. Now they may be unhappy, but they're not willing to change right now. Now we want to change because our lives were completely a mess couldn't stop drinking and using and we and we were in such fear and pain that we just couldn't go on so even though he's a good church member he said this hope however was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions are good very good in his case they don't spell the necessary vital experience experience. Because remember, we have to go from belief in God to trusting God and allowing God to manage our lives. And you can go to church and believe in, in God, but still leave the church and get in your car and you're running the show. It's very hard to give up running the show. In fact, we want to give up running it, and we don't do a good job of it every day. And some days we do a bad job of it but we want to, and we have the tools. The doctors telling him that while his religion, they did not, convictions were good, in his case, they don't spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Um, because if you're still running the show, God can't run it. And so you can, you can have religious convictions, but you're still practicing self-direction and self-will. And remember, uh, in We Agnostics, uh, we make the point that we may have believed in God, but we never allowed him to work in our lives so we don't have knowledge of God, a working relationship with God, a spiritual experience of God's power in my life. And I'm so thankful for AA, and I'm thankful for my alcoholism to produce me, to, to produce reduced me to the point where I was willing to do this because I, would, I wouldn't trade my spiritual experience today in relationship with God for anything. 
So uh, Roland's at this point, and here was the terrible dilemma in which he faced, found himself. He, he, went, he went to church, but he needed a vital spiritual experience, and he didn't know how to do it, which we have already told you. He, he had a terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which we have already told you made him a free man. Now, he did that by going to not church alone, but to the Oxford group. In 1932, he went to the Episcopal Church and Reverend Shoemaker there, and they had the Oxford group meetings. They weren't designed for alcoholics, but of course, that's where the alcoholics first went. Dr. Bob, Bill, Roland, Abby. Eventually, AA broke away from the Oxford group uh, to just basically uh, give the program, which they expanded the 12 steps, to alcoholics. But before they had the 12 steps in the book, they did break away in Akron and in New York, and they had separate meetings, but they used the Oxford group principles. So we have the same dilemma. We have the hopeless condition of mind and body. Uh, we have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. He'd never seen anybody recover. Uh, except through the, this uh, total rearrangements in, in their lives and their thinking and the vital spiritual experience. So it says, we in our turn, so we, we're just like Rowan. Did we seek the same escape that he did with all the desperation of a drowning man? But that's what they did. We, we in our turn sought the same escape from what? From me, from my self-centeredness, from my inability to manage my life, my inability to have any power over alcohol. And I wanted an escape from that, the bondage of self. Relieve me of the bondage of self, which produces the desire to seek the ease infect of alcohol. And then I have the allergy of the body, and I can't stop drinking. I want to escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. And I quote that a lot. And I, and, I, and I really want to see if I work with someone, do they have the desperation of a drowning man? And then I ask myself, really, every day, do I still have the desperation of a drowning man? So I get, wake up, I pray immediately before I get out of bed. My prayers have changed. And then I, after I get my coffee uh, and I have cereal every morning, I put on uh, scripture. I listen to scripture. And uh, what... And, and relate that to my alcoholism and my self-centeredness. And then I try to talk to two or three people in AA every day, and I'm always sponsoring some poor guy and uh, trying to help him and working the steps and always doing uh, step four with someone. Um, so do you have the desperation of a drowning man? Do you still have it? Did you have it? And you know how you know if you have the desperation of a drowning man? You'll, you'll follow directions. You're willing to go to any length. I give people simple directions. First one is just call me tomorrow. And then I'll ask them to listen to a podcast. I go through the book with them. I'd say, okay, start with uh, the beginning of the book, the cover, the table of contents, listen to doctor's opinion. It's probably 
two hours of talks. I said, I'll give you two days. And then call me and we'll go over it. And uh, we'll read it together. And most of the time they can't do it. It's too much. They're too busy. I'm too busy. I said, well, you're dying of alcoholism. I'm not asking him to climb Mount Everest. Just listen to two hours. I give him two days, an hour a day. I'm not mean about it. They don't want to do it, fine. So I say, well, I'll give you another day. And then it, they, just, they just don't want to do it. Now, maybe that's not the way they want to learn. But I really believe you have to go through the book. And I think the book starts from page one, not at page 58. And that we really have to go through that information. The stuff we're reading today, I think, is very helpful. I think you would agree. And so that you can tell somebody's desperate by their feet. Not their thinking, not their intellect, but what they're actually doing. Because remember, this is a program of action changes us. My thinking doesn't change me. My thinking's killing me. But the action changes my thinking. Um, Chuck C. said we, we work our way into right thinking. We act our way into right thinking. And I, I puzzled, that puzzled me for a while. But I realized when we take the actions of our the steps, it changes the way I think. And I don't have the old thinking, I have new thinking. So anyway, it says, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. What seemed at first a flimsy read, I just love this. What seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And I ask people, what were their flimsy reads? To me, it was my first sponsor. To me, it was the people that I met early on, first weeks of AA, the people I went to, some very good, met some really great people at AA, and that's why the fellowship is so important. And I met my first sponsor, and he was a flimsy read. And then I, uh, through him and going to meetings, I found the Joe and Charlie, and that flimsy read following that, listening to them, doing the directions, doing everything in the first uh, 112 pages uh, proved to be the powerful hand of God. And it was a process. The flimsy reed has proved to be a loving and powerful hand of God. And the flimsy reed can be people. God works through people. And who are the flimsy reeds in your life? Think about it. I can't even repay them. A lot of them have died. People I went to meetings to when I first came in, uh, there was a little doctor's group. Because, you know, we were so special. We had to have our own secret group. But there were some great people I met there. And they gave me support and encouragement. And I went to this Tuesday night uh, meeting, and I met some people there who were great. And then I went to, uh, we have a clubhouse in Topeka. And I went Saturday mornings because uh, I was working pretty hard. And Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. And I met some great people. And I heard some great things. And then um, eventually, after a couple of years, I got the Joe and Charlie tapes. And then I understood and the big book and started studying it and doing it. So the flimsy read proves to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And guess what you get? A new life. 
has been given us, or if you prefer, design the living that really works. What a, what a great promise. What a great paragraph. And why is it a design for living that really works? Because it's not my design. It's, it's there. It's a different design. It's God's design for living, not mine. Now, they go about the distinguished American psychologist William James in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, indicates a multiple, multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire, and that book is difficult to read. Um, I actually tried to read it. I don't, I don't do well with that. Uh, it, was, it was too complicated. I told my wife it has too many words, but it, it's a fairly complicated psychological book, and I never did well with those kinds of books. I have more of an analytical math mind. The multitude of ways in which men have discovered God, and that's true. We have no desire to convince anyone that there's only one way by which faith can be acquired. But there's only one God, that's what I wrote. And there's a multitude of ways in which people have discovered God and by which faith has been required. And I think what they're talking here is not belief, but trust. There's a difference between believing in something and actually trusting in, in, trusting in that. And I think there's a difference between believing in Christ and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation and your life. If what we have learned, and we go from belief to trust, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator. And that's a beautiful line. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator. And if that was the attitude of people today, can you imagine how the world would be? I mean, can you imagine how people would get along in Congress? And, and we wouldn't need four different news stations broadcasting all these different opinions. We would just seek God together. And, and their children, and it says, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, the children of living a God with whom we may form a relationship. We all have the power to form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms. But here's the, uh, here's the condition. As soon as we're willing and honest enough to try. You have to be willing, 100% willing, and 100% honest, and you have to try it. Those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing in their beliefs or ceremonies, and I don't. There's no friction among us over such matters. And we need to remember that. But you have to be willing and honest enough to try to be able to form a relationship with your creator on simple and understandable terms. And when you do that, then you feel that you're, you're all connected. We're all connected. And we shouldn't be judging each other. We're all children of a living creator. We think it's no concern of ours what religious bodies or members identify themselves with as individuals. And really, I don't, I don't, I have my own religious beliefs, but I'm fine working with someone who has different beliefs. Uh, 
there should be an entirely personal affair with which, now if they ask me, I will tell them about my religious beliefs and my theology and why I believe a certain way. But if they don't ask me, then I don't, I don't uh, uh, expound on that. It should be an entirely personal affair which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such membership. Now, it, this chapter ends very powerfully, and I'm gonna go over my usual 30 minutes, and I hope you won't mind. In the following chapter, there appears an explanation of alcoholism as we understand it. Because you have to understand alcoholism if you're gonna seek the solution to it. Then a, a chapter addressed to the agnostic. And um, there are those who don't wanna hear about God, but we all are without knowledge and trust in God, I believe. Because if we had knowledge and trust in him and had him managing our lives, we wouldn't be here. Many who were once in this class are now among our members. Surprisingly enough, we find such convictions no great obstacle to a spiritual experience unless we go let go of them. And they talk about in that chapter, we have to let go of our prejudice and our inability and, and our wrong ideas about God. Further on, clear-cut directions, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. Now, if you want to recover, you might want to follow their clear-cut directions but you can't, they can't be mine. They have to be somebody else, and that's the chapter how it works into action. And I've often said, and I'll say it again, if I believe if you do everything and how it works and into action, you'll never drink again. Your life will change dramatically. Then they followed with the 42 personal experiences. Now, I really like these last two paragraphs. Each individual, and this is what we should be doing as an individual in AA, when we meet someone and we're trying to help someone, in our personal story should describe in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. Now, can you do that? Can you describe in your own language and from your point of view the way you established your relationship with God with someone you're trying to help? Let's say somebody asked you to be a sponsor. Can you do that? If you can't do that, you might want to do it. And then you can explain it to somebody. Because I don't think until you have established a relationship with God, you really have anything to uh, help somebody with. Because uh, they need to establish their relationship with God. And if you haven't established it, then you, know, you can't. It says at uh, page 164, we can't give away what we don't have. And it gives a cross-section of their membership that try to do that clear-cut idea of what actually happened in their lives. Not a theory, but what actually happened. And then you're supposed to be able to share to someone what actually happened in your life. And I've tried to do that, talk about myself when I do these talks. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts of bad taste. And here was their hope, the hope of this book is that many alcoholic men and women, desperately in need, this was written for desperate people, people had the desperation of a drowning man, who were willing to reach out through the book, through the fellowship, through people sent to them by God, 
to find the flimsy reed in the hand of God. So the desperately in need will see these pages and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too, I must have this thing. And that was the purpose of these pages, up to how it works. And really, uh, that, that's the purpose of it. Fully disclosing ourselves the problems they will be able to say, yes, I'm one of them too, I must have this thing. So they wanted people, their hope was that the men and women desperately in need will want this and say, I must have this thing. And they give clear-cut directions on how they established their relationship with God. And that's what we should be doing at meetings. That's what we should be doing with new people. I always get the number of new people when they come to the meeting and I call them and I ask them uh, what's going on and what their plan is and we talk for a while and I see if they want me to help them or not. And if they do, I give them uh, something to do and see if they want to do it. And, and it says, yes, I wanted them, I must have this thing and I wrote dash or else. You know, if they don't must have this thing and if they're not desperate then Nothing's going to change. And I, I wrote here some notes. I have to disclose myself and my problems and how I established my relationship with God and what actions I took to do that and what has happened as a result. So this is just a, such a powerful uh, uh, pages. And then I'm going to record more about alcoholism and then... Um, the beginning and tomorrow at the meeting, uh, um, I'm going to go further in that. So I'm back, uh, I'm walking with a boot and a crutch, but I can get around. So anyway, thank you very much. God bless. Have a great day.